Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with Decrom. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromlow, joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Fentz, of full press coverage. It's hard to believe we are almost already at the quarter pole of this 2022 NFL season, and the saying that the NFL is a league of parity couldn't be more true. Just three weeks in, we only have two unbeaten teams remaining, and we have not one, but two, and perhaps more, legitimate candidates to go from worst to first in their divisions. And with preseason Super Bowl darling suffering key injuries, it seems that the road to Glendale, Arizona, and Super Bowl 57 just got quite a bit more complicated. Don't you think so, Hal? I certainly could not agree with you anymore, David. This has been a crazy first three games of the NFL season. Uh, you know, throw out anything that you think going in. There's no experts anymore. <laughs> it's just, a, you know, week in, week out, just, what you, you know, week one, you say, well, you can't top that. Week two, you go, well, can't top that. And now after this week, I'm like, forget it. I can't wait to see what's in store for week four. <laughs> Neither do I. And we have a lot of great games to preview. But before we do that, let's talk about uh, week three. It was a very eventful week, to say the least. What was the biggest lesson learned in week three of this NFL season? I was going to say, you know, the margin of error is so razor thin in the NFL right now. Like these games, so many close games, so many games turning on one turnover. But, you know, kind of, last week, you know, I threw some love to Darius Slay for, you know, lesson learned. He's still a number one cornerback. And this week, um, you know, I got to throw some love out in Detroit to Jeff Okuda, the 2020 number three overall pick in the NFL. Uh, first two years ended on injured reserve, played only one game last year. Um, you know, big question mark, labeled a bust already. Seven of his 10 career games, he get, had a, over a 100 yard passer rating in coverage. This year, through three weeks, he has been a star, that number one lockdown receiver that he was supposed to be coming out of college. And holy moly, 12 receptions, 20 attempts, 108 yards, no touchdowns. Jeff Okuda playing like a number one cornerback. So I'm staying on the cornerback train. My lesson learned is don't write these guys off too early. This is a great comeback season so far from Jeff, Jeff Okuda. And I think the more he plays, the better he's going to get. Oh, that is an excellent, excellent, excellent point, Hal. Uh, Jeff Okuda, everybody thought that he would be the next great lockdown corner coming into the NFL from Ohio State, but he struggled his rookie year, uh, got injured very early last season. People uh, were labeling him a bust, as you said, but now he's playing like the stud we all expect him to be, and he put on an absolute clinic last weekend against arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL in Justin Jefferson. Very, very happy for Jeff Okuda. And the biggest lesson I learned from week three the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Duval! Duval. Can you hear us down there? Yep, we're with you, Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars are legit. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
Trevor Lawrence, he is playing like that once-in-a-generation franchise quarterback we all thought he'd be coming into the league. He is just uh, making all these jaw-dropping throws and making household names out of guys like Zay Jones. He is already playing like a franchise quarterback. And heck, by the end of the season, I fully expect him to be in my top five uh, quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. So quarterbacks that I would like to have for the next five to ten years. Trevor Lawrence, you are well on your way to that. But not just that. James Robinson Ooh. coming off of that Achilles injury that is very difficult to come back from in just a year. He's running like... He's running like a brand new man, if not an even better man. Oh, my God. Very few running backs are playing better than James Robinson. He is just making defenses pay with his legs. And that Jaguars defense led by your man, Mike Caldwell, with that front, with Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, that is, and Foley Fadakasi, Roy Robertson-Harris, the off-ball linebackers, rookie Devin Lloyd, early defensive rookie of the year favorite, and Foye Oluokan. Oh, my God. They just took the Chargers lunch last Sunday. It was an absolute clinic by that Jaguars defense. The Jaguars are for real, folks, because they got all, all the pieces. They got a legit franchise quarterback, a head coach that has been there and done that and won a Super Bowl, and a young defense on the rise. The Jaguars, they are legit contenders in the AFC South. That is all there is to it. And uh, moving right along here, what about your go to the week, Cal? Well, you're stealing my thunder here, David. I had, you know, that big interception at in the second quarter that keyed the game. Devin Lloyd, that rookie linebacker for Jacksonville, another huge performance. He's leading that team in tackles. He had interception, seven tackles, three passes defended. He is a game changer in the running game, in the passing game. He has changed that defense he's been such a huge part of that defense uh you know and you mentioned you know top pick Trayvon Walker as well there and Josh Allen oh such a great defense but but Devin Lloyd you know I I think the question around the league now is how did he last till number 27 overall that man should not have been on the board there and he is my go to the week because he set the tone and performed for that Jacksonville defense Oh, I love that choice, Hal. Devin Lloyd, I'm not saying he is Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is a unicorn, but Devin Lloyd is very uh, similarly versatile as Micah Parsons is. Uh, he uh, can uh, cover uh, receivers uh, of any kind, uh, and uh, that's uh, not Micah Parsons' forte, actually. Devin Lloyd is much better at that than Micah Parsons, but if you also need Devin Lloyd to blitz the quarterback up the middle or even line up on the edge uh, for a couple snaps a game, he could do that for you as well. A defensive weapon, no doubt. And for my go to the week, I just have to go with my man, Cooper Rush. This is a guy who was claimed off waivers from the Cowboys by the Giants in 2020 and then cut two times. And he was out of the league for a month before the Cowboys eventually resigned him after Dak Prescott suffered that season-ending ankle injury uh, that year. And now look at him. He is 3-0 and as a starting quarterback. And he is the first undrafted quarterback to win each of his first three NFL starts and throw for 750 or more yards over those starts since Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. Cooper Rush is probably not going to be a Hall of Famer, but he is more than an adequate backup quarterback. He has helped tremendously in salvaging the Cowboys season that we thought was on the ropes after week one. Cooper Rush, you are the man. You are my go to the week. 
And for dunce of the week, I had to go with Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley, that game was out of reach for a while in the fourth quarter. And you kept Justin Herbert, who still was uh, his old self at times of that game. Don't get me wrong. But he, he, was, he was not necessarily 100%. And given the injuries you had to Rashawn Slater and to Joey Bosa and to uh, Jalen Guyton in that game, to leave him and the starters out on the field with just three minutes to go in the game out of reach, what the hell were you thinking? Saying that Herbert wanted to be in there with his teammates, that's not an excuse. You're the head coach. You have to tell your players when they need to sit down and to fight another day. Brandon Staley, that is absolute coaching malpractice. And if the Chargers don't get this thing corrected amidst all these injuries, I think he's going to be put on the hot seat. Brandon Staley is my dunce of the week. What well, about your dunce of the week, Hal? Great choice there, David. You know, Chargers doing Charger things still. I don't understand it, but uh, let's start with the coach as the problem. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, the low-hanging fruit is Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, you know, <laughs> pulling an Orlovsky, stepping out of bounds in the end zone on a game that you lose by one point for a safety. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going with Carson Wentz. You know, uh, you got the you're you're there. You're going up against your former team. I mean, trying to show off against your ex, and he just took a. I mean, he was beyond inefficient. That first half, especially, was one of the worst passing halves in that modern NFL history. Uh, you know. Obviously, not a lot of help from that offensive line and the weapons around him. Sacked nine times, uh, pumped up his stats a little bit in garbage time when the Eagles were in full prevent defense. But man, Carson Wentz, ah, oh, man, you know, you go, you, you run into your ex and you're peeing down your leg. That was just terrible. That's my dunce of the week. Uh, it's no wonder why both the Eagles and the Colts were desperate to get rid of Carson Wentz. Uh, he has uh, fallen just so dang far after that MVP-like 2017 season. And uh, speaking of quarterbacks, let's talk about some great quarterbacks for a change. Arguably no quarterback in the entire NFL is playing better football right now than Lamar Jackson. Jackson. His playing has literally, literally, reached a whole new level that may be unprecedented. First of all, unlike last year, he is masking a talent-deficient offensive line and elevating offensive weapons, most notably Devin Duvernay, and the numbers speak for themselves. In both weeks two and three, Lamar Jackson put up three or more touchdown passes and 100 or more rushing yards in a single game. He has done that four times in his career, and only six, six, other players in NFL history have produced such numbers in a single game, and each of them did so only once. And in case there is anybody left in the Lamar Jackson can't throw crowd, according to Doug Farrar of the USA Today Touchdown Wire, 88% of Lamar's passes this year have come from the pocket, and he's completed 66% of them for nine touchdowns and two interceptions. The NFL and his talent evaluators thought this guy should have converted a wide receiver. He played in a Bobby Petrino pocket centric offense at Louisville. What were they thinking? Oh my goodness. Uh. So my question to you, Hal, is this, is it time to place Lamar Jackson 
in the elite quarterback tier with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Justin Herbert? I surely think so. Do I hear a simpatico alert? Beep, 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 beep. He definitely is an elite quarterback. And like you said, the lack of weapons, the lack of help around them. I mean, no Ronnie Stanley at left tackle there. Um, you mentioned Duvernay, Rashad Bateman catching touchdown passes from him. Gee, uh, Demarcus Robinson, I didn't know he was still in the league. My <laughs> God, he, he's got a bunch of no names. I mean, let's talk about that running game behind. I, Kenya Drake, you know, uh, J.K. <laughs> Dobbins, first game back, Rusty, Mike Davis. I mean, this is just, I mean, no way. I mean, his one weapon is a tight end. That's it. Mark Andrews, he's got nothing else around him. Offensive line injuries, no wide receiver weapons. I mean, Devin Duvernay is a punt returner, and he's got the <laughs> he's turned him into a deep ball threat. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, carrying that entire running game, and it's not like he's running the ball 20 times a game either. He's picking and choosing his spots. The touchdown run against Miami, um, you know, last week as well, some back-breaking runs by Lamar in the second half to salt away that game. It is an MVP performance. He is in the top tier um, without a doubt. He's not just a running quarterback. And as you said, he's taken that critical step that makes a quarterback go from very good to a great, and that's elevating the players around him, doing more with less, and we have seen that from him this year. No doubt, I've got him on my short list of MVPs. As do I. He is easily the front runner in my book three weeks into this young season. And as great as week three was for uh, Lamar Jackson and other quarterbacks, it was also one to forget if you love star left tackles. Both Chargers left tackle Rashawn Slater and 49ers left tackle Trent Williams, arguably the two best at their craft right now, suffered significant injuries. Trent Williams will miss the next four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain, and Rashawn Slater will obviously miss the remainder of the 2022 season with a ruptured biceps tendon. Which of those teams, the Chargers or the 49ers, will suffer the most from losing their star left tackle? I would, I, I have to say the Chargers only because. I think the Chargers are already getting to that point of uh, no return, as, as you elucidated earlier there, uh, calling out the, the head coach as the Chargers were doing dunce things as usual. <laughs> um, they're, in, they're in a tough division. They've got nothing coming easier for them. Your star quarterback is already banged up. You're in tough, tough situation there. San Francisco, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to give them, I think, a better chance of, of winning with or without uh, even missing Williams, certainly not for the entire season for a short period of time. And uh, once they get through this week, um, they've got a you know, you know, a couple of games to recover and uh, can head into their bye week in a decent situation to, to get Williams back and make a run in the second half of the season in that division. So I'm going to say a uh, big, bigger loss there for the Chargers. 
there's definitely an argument for that, but I'm not sure Jimmy Garoppolo can mask losing a star blindside protector the way Justin Herbert can. Not only does Herbert have the athleticism, his mental processing is off the charts. Jimmy Garoppolo has neither of those. True point. Good point there, David. Yep. But, um, you know, the 49ers, I think they can get that running game going and protect Garoppolo that way. The Chargers, I haven't seen anything from their running game in three weeks that makes me think that they're going to be able to protect Herbert with a play action passing game there and give him extra time. Definitely. And here's to hoping that Jamari Sawyer, a rookie, is uh, up to the task of manning that left tackle spot for the Chargers. And now it's time to play our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. You know how this game works. I make a statement and you let me know whether you think I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and explain why. We start with the Broncos, where it is almost time to panic about Russell Wilson and the offense. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to go with a little bit of an exaggeration here. You're talking about the first place Denver Broncos right here, David. So uh, we're not panicking with any team in first place here. Yes, I mean, offense has been absolutely horrible i what are they second worst in points scored um you know don't even look at those third down numbers and uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. red zones we don't even want to talk about the red zone here we, uh raise your <laughs> blood pressure or anything here but no not not the time to panic russell wilson new team new location everything's changed okay um the tools are in place to succeed there's still a running game in Denver that can be leaned on, set him up for that play action passing, uh, start letting Russell Wilson use his legs, design some running plays for him, get him comfortable moving outside of the, the pocket. And I think things will turn around there, just needs to get a little bit more comfort with those around him but I think they're going to start trending up very soon. He definitely showed a lot of those uh, flashes that we see from him all those years in Seattle on that final go game winning go ahead drive on Sunday. But I'm going to say this. I do not think Russell Wilson is washed, but he has clearly declined athletically rather significantly. And uh, they're, uh, they're going to have to pick and choose the spots on whether to move him out of the pocket or not. Maybe they should do that a little more, but he is going to eventually learn how to, learn how to make more of those throws from the pocket. I don't mean attacking the middle of the field because uh, quarterbacks, his site, uh, Kyler Murray can't do it. And neither can Russell Wilson. They can't uh, attack the uh, intermediate uh, short middle of the field at all, but he is going to have to learn how to be that play action passer, as you said, from the pocket uh, in order to elongate his career. Agree, agree. It's it's a you know it's a transition for him, and I still think that you know taking a little bit more time, um, losing Patrick, the type of wide receiver I think would have been a perfect fit for Russell Wilson's game. That that safety valve that he so desperately needed, possession receiver, um, that hurts. But um, again, they get that running game going there in Denver as well, and. 
that let Russell feed off of that on the play action, build that confidence. I think it's just a matter of time for them. And hey, they've done a great job of treading water so far, winning two out of their first three and not ending up where they're putting themselves in a giant hole to start the season. <coughs> Vegas. <coughs> <laughs> that is true indeed. I expected the Broncos would be two and one at this juncture, but I didn't think that that loss would come to Seattle. I thought it would come against the 49ers. But, right. Uh, <laughs> um, however you get there, you get there. And that's all that matters. And on to my other favorite team, the Chicago Bears have failed, failed Justin Fields. Truth or exaggeration? I can't put enough exclamation marks around this. Truth, truth, truth. It is a travesty in Chicago. I am just gobsmacked that it's, you know, oh, my God. I don't know what they're doing out there. You know, Luke Getze, offensive coordinator. I, I, I don't know what's going on in Chicago. I just don't get it. It just, you know, gets worse and worse and worse. And you're seeing Justin Fields lose confidence game after game after game. It's not pretty. He may need some time just for his mental health on the sidelines for a game or two. I don't know what the solution there is in Chicago, um, but it's a situation where he doesn't have great offensive line in front of him. He doesn't have great tools around him, uh, dynamic playmakers, and he's running for his life week after week. It's an ugly, ugly situation, and it doesn't look like there's any plan for success in Chicago right now. I cannot say enough of how disappointed I am in what the Bears have done with a great resource as Justin Fields. Sure looks that way. I definitely agree. And moving on to the 49ers, who are struggling to run the ball as well as they have in the past. And it's because, in part at least, that the 49ers badly, and I mean badly miss. Mike McDaniel, who was their run game coordinator last season. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, yeah, definitely a truth on that. Um, I think, you know, there's a level of comfort, and I don't think we talk enough about coaches losing their assistants, assistants moving on. Um, you know, it's something that we see that happening a lot, and a lot of times it's very easy to assume that, you know, Hey, these guys have got, you know, the next great young coach already lined up in their system and you're just going to promote them up and it's going to be like nothing ever happened and no change. And, you know, young coaches, they need to learn on the job as well. And I think there's a little bit of that attrition is definitely a truth there in San Francisco, um, that running game that unique, um, you know, Shanahan running game there uh, that he, you know, from, from Mike to Kyle here, it takes precision. And the reason it's so hard when it's clicking to stop it is because you've got that offense in rhythm. And that all starts with that coach getting all that, all 11 on offense, one out of 11 makes a mistake and the whole play's ruined. So definitely needs the precision definitely is going to need work, a lot of hard work there uh, for San Francisco to get that running game back on track 
And like you said, adapting to Mike McDaniel no longer being there, heading that up, that comfort level. So yes, I got to say definitely a truth there. I would definitely have to agree, at least so far this season, uh, the 49ers are definitely missing the uniqueness of uh, Mike McDaniel's uh, run game strategies. And back to the AFC, where the Bills should no longer be the favorites to win the conference. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, I'm going to go with an exaggeration. Uh, You know, Buffalo, the injuries are wrecking that team right now and um you know for everything that went wrong last week uh again in the heat of miami the team falling apart uh you know they still almost won that game as terrible as everything looked and as injury ravaged as they were and as bad things seemed to be going for uh, buffalo i still think they're the favorites in the AFC, I think, you know, if anything, that's the type of game that they needed um, that's going to pay off down the road. Uh, you know, heard a lot about stats about Buffalo with consecutive win- 20 consecutive wins by double digits, but that just further emphasizes that in those close games, they've got to learn how to win those close games still. And that's what knocked him out of the playoffs last year, not being able to execute in that fourth quarter of a close game. Um, That's what hurt Buffalo last year. That's what they've got to learn to do this year. And I think as, um, you know, still still think of them as a young team, uh, they're still learning how to win. So I think in the long run, it's a good thing for Buffalo, that game. I think they're taking a lot of lessons out of it. And I still think, um, you know, once that team starts getting healthy and getting some players back on defense, man, they're going to be that team nobody wants to play in December, January, and probably February coming out of the AFC. And moving on to Las Vegas, where the Raiders are a surprising 0-3. So truth or exaggeration? The Raiders are the best 0-3 team in modern NFL history. (laughs) They're certainly the most talented. That is true for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, oh, you know, the the Raiders, I mean, you you couldn't have a worse start to the season here. Uh, You know, defense uh, taking a step back. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, You know, close all three games look you know week one that was a winnable game against the chargers week two no excuse losing to arizona and last week as well winnable game against tennessee uh yeah probably outplayed them as well i mean this team should be three and oh right now um yeah i mean I, I, got, I can't say it's an exaggeration. This team is way too good to have that record and be sitting here at 0-3. Um, so, so, yeah, got to go with the truth there. And on to your New England Patriots, where Mac Jones suffered a pretty severe high ankle sprain. Uh, Bill Belichick, uh, like, uh, went in front of the media this morning and said, oh, he has improved dramatically these past 48 hours, but I don't buy that he's going to play this week or anytime soon. I think it's Belichick just trying to keep the Packers guessing. That's all I think. So, truth or exaggeration, 
Should Mac Jones miss a lot of time, as in four to six weeks, which uh, is a month and a half, the Patriots will be picking in the top 15 or even the top 12 of the 2023 NFL draft. Oh, definitely, definitely going with the truth there. This team, um, you know, people get too used to the Patriots being at the top of the standings here. Um, you know, reality is finally hitting. This team needed a lot of breaks to just be back to a wild card team like they were last year. I certainly was thinking this is a eight or nine win team at the best here. And that was with Mac Jones taking a big step forward. Um, you know, rookie fourth round quarterback, Bailey Zappi, journeyman, Brian Hoyer, neither one of those inspire confidence in anybody in the NFL right now. And, you know, Green Bay, Detroit is a lot tougher game than people had circled, uh, you know, in, when the schedule came out earlier. Going to Cleveland, um, you know, the Jets are a tougher team, you know. So if you say four to six weeks, say to be conservative, he comes back after the bye. Indianapolis before the bye. You know, it's this is supposed to be the easy stretch for the Patriots here. And it's not as easy as it looks. And it's not going to get a lot of W's with Brian Hoyer at quarterback. I think if the NFL over the last decade plus has proved anything, uh, going in with Brian Hoyer is not a recipe for success, no matter what team he's quarterbacking there. So, so yeah, definitely. Um, I would say this season without four to six weeks without Mac Jones and that's, you know, best case scenario, I think, in this situation, especially where he's talking about, you know, not having surgery. Yeah, we could be looking at double digit losses here for the Patriots and, you know, uh, picking somewhere between five and 10 easily. Very interesting there, Hal. And last but not least, for truth or exaggeration for this week, let's talk about one of the two unbeaten teams remaining in the NFL. One of those teams is obviously the Miami Dolphins. The other, the Philadelphia Eagles. And a big reason why the Eagles are where they are right now, head coach Nick Sirianni. He has done a magician's job. And I mean a magician's job in turning Jalen Hurts into a star. So truth or exaggeration, Nick Sirianni is already a top 10 NFL head coach. You got to give credit where credit is due. And this team right now in Philadelphia that offense, explosive Jalen Hurts. You know, um, we talked about Lamar Jackson. I say, you know, the old, you know, he's that other MVP candidate right now. Uh, Jalen Hurts has taken his game to another level. Uh, weapon with his arm, weapon with his legs, and yeah, Sirianni. I mean, last year, beginning of the season, I, you know, they were ready to, you know grab a pole and run him out of town in the first half of the season in mm -hmm. Philadelphia, that team looked lost. Hertz looked terrible. People were calling for Gardner Minshew. I mean, it was a mess and he rebuilt that offense on the fly throughout this, you know, crazy idea of this is going to be a running offense, put his trust in Jalen Hertz, let him throw the ball. Um, 
And we saw the results in that second half of the season at Philadelphia. They were one of the, the better teams uh, coming down the stretch of that season until they, you know, well, ran into Tampa Bay in the playoffs, but Hey, that happens with Tom Brady, but, but this year, you know, we've seen, you know, that defense has taken a big step. That offense is one of the top offenses in the NFL right now. Um, you know, the addition of AJ Brown, the growth of Devonta Smith, you see the chemistry there with Jalen hurts. This is, um, you know, a great team, a great team on both sides of the ball. And for that, like you said, you have to credit Nick Sirianni, the changes that he made, the ability of a, a young coach as well in his, you know, in his first season to basically say, wow, I was wrong mid season and throw everything out and start over. I mean, you know, great job, all the respect in the world for Sirianni after that. So yeah, I've got to say, um, in this case, yeah, he's climbing the chart week after week as one of the top coaches. And I wouldn't say it's an exaggeration to say uh, he's worked his way into the top 10 right now. So far, so good. You want to see a little bit more, but hey, this is the NFL. So <laughs> <laughs> snap judgments are what we make. And so, yeah, we're going to say top 10, not an exaggeration. Yep, he's earned uh, the benefit of the doubt there. And speaking of the Eagles, they host the Red Hot Jacksonville Jaguars at the link this weekend. It should be a very, very, very fun game to watch. And uh, let's talk about this uh, game for a a moment. Um, We mentioned the Jaguars defense at the top of the broadcast. And for good reason. They uh, just took it to Justin Herbert and the Chargers last week. And the injuries weren't excuse for the Chargers. The Jaguars absolutely dominated that game. They deserve uh, a lot of credit for that. And uh, how do you think this Jaguars defense uh, matches up against this high-flying Eagles offense that we just talked about? Yeah, I mean, this is interesting on both sides of the ball because you've got two great defenses, two explosive offenses. And it's, you know, which side is going to win this matchup here? Um, is what's so fascinating to me here. Um, Jacksonville, again, young, aggressive defense, a lot of young players on that defense. Um, you know, may not be the, the biggest household names, but they can make plays, no doubt about it. Um, underrated secondary there as well. Me personally, though, I think both of these teams, I think the offenses are both at a level of execution where as good as these defenses are, that may mean, Hey, we held them to four touchdowns. Great job (laughs) on defense this week with the way that these two offenses are playing. So I still see it as a a higher scoring kind of game this week as well. No disrespect to either defense because I still think they're both solid. I just think both offenses are just executing so well that both teams will be overcoming that during the overcoming the opposing defense during these games. Oh, absolutely. And uh, consider the fact that rain is in the forecast for Philadelphia on Sunday. So this could turn into a defensive slugfest very easily. And uh, one of the reasons Jalen Hurts has progressed so dramatically, as uh, you just alluded to, is that he now has an excellent one-two punch at wide receiver. And we obviously know how amazing of a talent A.J. Brown is, which is why the Eagles gave up what they did to uh, trade for him on the first night of the draft. But Devontae Smith 
as you just mentioned as well. He who won the 2020 Heisman Trophy, let's not forget yeah. that, he is starting to really come into his own. He was an absolute baller last week, catching eight passes for 169 yards and one touchdown. I believe 150 of those yards came in the first half alone. Oh, yeah. And he currently is the NFL league leader in catches, yards, first downs, and explosive plays from empty sets. And that stat courtesy of uh, Fran Duffy, who's been a guest on this podcast before, and he works for the Eagles organization as uh, a film uh, expert uh, analyst uh, for the Eagles website. Uh, he does great work, uh, just to catch his work week after week. It's some of the best work you'll ever, ever find about the intricacies of the game of football. But my question is, do you think the Eagles just might have the best wide receiver duo in the National Football League outside of Miami? Yeah, well, yeah, I was just going to say Miami's got a pretty good duo there as well. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean... Devonta Smith, AJ Brown for a one-two punch outside of Miami. It's hard to argue with that. Um, those two players, you know, just two weapons. It, how do you, you know those type of teams? How do you defend when teams have got two number one wide receivers? You know, you're in a tough situation, and you know, in both cases, uh, you know, with Miami. Well, I mean, Philadelphia more so than Miami too. You know, you start trying to to play some uh you know you're you're going man to man with the safeties deep and all of a sudden you know Jalen Hurts sees that and he's got a lot of wide open space there if he wants to tuck that ball and run as well so it's very hard to defend that with two wide receivers uh both of them uh you know especially their unique talents as well both of them can work the whole field and run that whole uh you know, that whole route tree as well. Smith and Brown are both consummate pros, excellent wide receivers, um, you know, may not be the burners that they are with uh, Waddle and Hill in Miami, but uh, technically uh, great wide receivers bring a lot of different skills to the table. Yeah, I'd say right there, hard to find a better uh, one-two um Minnesota, eh, no, I, I gotta say, they're a little bit ahead. Thielen's taking a little step back, and uh, Jefferson's uh, seen the what happens with a little extra attention here these last couple of weeks yeah, as yes. well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I gotta go with that. I, I've got to agree that outside of Miami, just an NFC top one two combo. And now let's talk about some of these key matchups that are going to decide this game. And fittingly, we start up front strength against strength that Jaguars defensive line anchored by Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker on the edge Roy Robertson Harris Foley Fadakasi in the middle against that Eagles offensive line but especially those two edges against arguably the best offensive tackle combo in the NFL in Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata yeah I mean that that those like you said, it, it starts there for the Eagles on the edge. They uh, have protected Jalen Hurts, given him time to make plays in the pocket. And that's been a huge part of his development. And yeah, I mean, one of those better tackle combinations in the league that you're talking about. Um, and, you know, Walker, Allen, you know, you're looking at uh, two, you know, young great highly talented pass rushers you know you kind of wonder is this going to be 
you know, putting themselves on the map this game as holy cow, look at Jacksonville's pass rush. Uh, this is big time, big time opponent here this week. Um, or is it, you know, uh, uh, hey, rookie, sorry, Trayvon, but uh, this is what the real NFL is like and uh, lessons learned to take with him down the road. Interesting matchup there should play a key role in this game because they're not getting pressure on Jalen Hurts. It's going to be a long day for that defense. Most certainly is. But uh, Trayvon Walker, he's just scratching the surface of himself as a pass rusher. What really made him stand out at Georgia was that teach tape run defense. And Jalen Hurts is equally as much of a threat to run as he is to pass. So if you take that run option away by like uh, – setting that violent edge like Trayvon Walker does, uh, that could help tremendously as well for the Jaguars. Oh, yeah. And, and like you said, you talked about some of those interior offensive linemen, uh, defensive linemen as well. Bolo Fadukasi, I mean, underrated run-stuffing defensive tackle. Not sure why the Jets let him just walk away, but uh, <laughs> they're quite happy that uh, he was available for them in Jacksonville. He is a premier run-stopper, and controlling that running game, making the offense one-dimensional, uh, that's a huge key for Jacksonville uh, going up against Philadelphia. And from the trenches to the perimeter, there's a very intriguing matchup in this game between one of the league's better cornerback duos in Darius Slay, who you had as your go to the week last week, and James Bradbury. Let's not forget about him yes. going up against Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, who Trevor Lords is making in the household names. Yeah, I mean, Zay Jones, my goodness, he has, um, you know, you, you went into the season kind of wondering about Jacksonville and throwing all that money at Christian Kirk and you know, who's going to be catching the ball and, you know, throw in, you know, Marvin Jones is your possession receiver out there as well. And you've got some weapons there. So yeah, it's very intriguing matchup for, for Jacksonville as well, because again, the running into these veterans uh, at the cornerback position, there's not much that Slay and Bradbury haven't seen over the years here. Um, you know, they are, both different skills. Uh, Slay's clearly the number one, uh, but Bradbury is your number two is not a bad position to be in for any defense. And for Jacksonville, yeah, they've got to have some of the, those wins with Kirk and either one of those Joneses when they're uh, being covered by that uh, Philadelphia, um, as Philadelphia cornerbacks be because especially if that Philadelphia pass rush gets going and they don't have to cover long, uh, that can create some big headaches for Jacksonville's offense. Oh, absolutely. Um, hopefully the uh, Jaguars' uh, pass protection is up to the task again in Philly, like they were last week against uh, Cleo Mack and uh, Joey Bosa. And another key matchup in this game, I look at James Robinson, who I mentioned at the top of the broadcast. Very few running backs are playing better football than James Robinson is right now. And James Robinson uh, is going to be running into one of the most hard-nosed defensive lines in the NFL with the Eagles. Uh, Fletcher Cox is still there, but you also got Javon Hargrave and the rookie Jordan Davis on the inside. And uh, so uh, running into the teeth of those guys are uh, bouncing and out on, on the edges. Uh, th that could easily decide the game. But fortunately, Doug Peterson knows a thing or two about a lot of those players in Philly. 
and uh, he's going to have a lot of scouting data uh, available for James Robinson to look at. So uh, James Robinson could easily uh, break this game open in the rain with a deciding run or two against this uh, behemoth Eagles front. Oh, great point there. Yeah, because Eagles have not been easy to run against. But, um, you know, we saw DeAndre Swift in week one for Detroit racked up a lot of yards on the ground for Detroit. So uh, definitely an area that Maybe uh, a weakness that they can exploit in Jackson with Jacksonville running the football there, maybe be able to keep these games close because really, I mean, let's face it for Philadelphia, uh, nobody's had the lead. So nobody's had to run and run clock against them so far this year. So they really haven't been tested against the team with, you know, where they know that they're uh, coming at them with that running game. So a uh, very interesting point there could be, could be playing a huge part in this game if Jacksonville can uh, get that running game going, you know, keep Philadelphia from getting a lead and keep that explosive offense on the sideline. I couldn't agree more. And who do you think prevails Sunday afternoon in Philly between the Jaguars and the Eagles? You know, uh, boy, you know, last year I got on that Cincy bandwagon early and I made the mistake of jumping off. Wait, you know, um, and I'm not going to do it with Jacksonville this year. I am fully on the bandwagon. This is a young team. They're going to be in just about every game this year. Uh, they've got a great schedule, uh, from that worst to first possibility. And I tell, I say every week NFL, the schedule matters strength of schedule. It's one of the great things that brings parity to this league. So, um, tough test for Jacksonville. I think they're going to pass it. I've got Jacksonville pulling it out in a tough game. Um, you know what? I'll even put it into overtime for this game and say Jacksonville prevails 31-28 over Philadelphia. So that's I am a big believer in the Jaguars as well. And it was very hard for me to predict this game because, like I said, it's pretty evenly matched. You got two uh, young star quarterbacks on the rise, two great defenses, two great offenses. But here's the X factor. Doug Peterson is going to want revenge on his former team for letting him go. He wants to show Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Rose that he could still coach very well, and he's going to get his revenge. I like the Jaguars in a close game as well. And now... On to a matchup between two of the five best quarterbacks in the game today that is shockingly being played at one o'clock while the <laughs> Cardinals and Panthers are being played at 405. Are you kidding me, NFL schedule makers? What did you do here? Oh my god, it's so criminal. To, to have this game in the early window, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, two of the best quarterbacks of today. What are you doing? Oh my God, <laughs> I just can't stress that enough. But away from those quarterbacks for a moment, let's talk about this Bills defense where they are just hammered and depleted by injuries in that secondary. And last week, it was announced that Micah Hyde will not play again this season due to that neck injury that he suffered against the Tennessee Titans. And Jordan Poyer is still not quite 100% either. He was limited in practice today, but he still has that uh, foot injury. And uh, so it's still relatively uncertain whether he plays on Sunday. 
But let's say he cannot play in this game. Will the absence of him and Micah Hyde be felt even more against the Ravens than it was against the Dolphins? Keep in mind, they did a pretty good job at holding the Dolphins' passing attack in check, but uh, Lamar is more dangerous than Tua, so uh, with him around, it might not matter who those weapons are. Yeah, I mean, my goodness. I mean, Buffalo, you talk about that depleted secondary, and, you know, we, you know, that probably one of the top safety combos for the past few years. Now you're looking at backups at those positions, the cornerback position, you know, Dane Jackson injured as well, stepping in as the number one due to injuries to Tredavious White. I mean, it's just a mess. No Jackson, no Poyer likely, Um, you know, rookie cornerbacks out there, Kair Elam, their first round pick. Certainly they, uh, weren't expecting to throw him in the fire like this. Six-round pick, uh, Christian Benford as well. I mean, they are living off of that front seven right now in Buffalo, carrying that extra load, um, you know, leaning on those linebackers in coverage, Milano and Edmonds, getting that pass rush, you know, uh, all those different pass rushers that they can roll out there behind Vaughn Miller with Espana and Basham and Rousseau as well. Um, so much extra, extra effort there. I think there's a tipping point eventually where it's just too much on the injury side. And you're going to run into somebody who's going to have, you know, I mean, Lamar, Let's face it, he's a tough man, a big man back there, tough to take down, knows how to use his feet, knows how to use his feet to extend the plays, not only run the football as well, uh, which can open you up to some big, big plays downfield, uh, especially with some of those speedy receivers, like we talked about Duvernay, the track star uh, burner on the outside. So, yeah, this could be the tipping point for that Buffalo defense where, uh, you know, I certainly see it as this is a game Baltimore could be putting up some points on Buffalo's depleted secondary. Definitely. And as bad as the Bills' the pass defense looks right now, the Ravens' pass defense doesn't look that much better at all. As a yep. matter of fact, that pass defense in Baltimore has picked up right where it left off last year as it currently ranks dead last in the NFL for the first three weeks. Based on what you saw from them last week against the Patriots, just how big of a mismatch do they have on their hands with Josh Allen and the lethal Bills aerial attack come to town? Yeah, I mean, you know, before Mac Jones got hurt, I mean, that offense, which had not done anything for New England in two games, uh, all of a sudden were big plays up and down the field, big game, big plays in the passing game, big plays 10 plus yards in the running game as well. Um, that Baltimore defense, if not for, you know, uh, a few key turnovers there in that game could have been on the wrong end of that game very easily because there were not a lot of stops coming out of there. And that secondary, you know, basically, um, you know, find 44 and wherever Marlon Humphrey is throw the ball in the other direction. And you're winning that matchup against that secondary right now in Baltimore. Marcus Peters, uh, you know, great, great player, but still shaking off a lot of rust as he hasn't played regularly since 2020. And a lot of young players there, uh, Jalen Armour 
Davis not ready for prime time. And even with Marcus Williams added to that secondary, I have first round pick Kyle Hamilton definitely going through some growing pains there in Baltimore, uh, especially against Miami. And even last week as well, there were a couple of times where he got caught in no man's land and there were some big plays uh, with him unsure on where he was supposed to be in that passing game. So yeah, I, I Baltimore defense again, that uh, has been hurt in that passing game the last two weeks and, the last thing you want to see is Josh Allen coming up on the center there uh, when you're hurting like that, stopping the passing game already. So, yeah, I'm looking at this one. Whew. Go pick the over. Pick the over. <laughs> uh, I agree. This is going to be the barn burner of barn burners between these two teams on Sunday. And let's talk about the key game deciding matchups in this game. When I look at the Ravens defense, I think they're two best defensive players right now, believe it or not are their two safeties, Marcus Williams and their rookie Kyle Hamilton, who made a big play last week with that uh, forced fumble uh, that uh, pretty much uh, put the game out of reach for the uh, Patriots. So it is on them to, I think the Ravens are going to be playing two deep coverages for most of the game to try to take the big play over the top away. And they're going to have to stay as disciplined as possible to try to stay in those looks uh, to keep uh, the uh, Bills' explosive plays uh, restricted. Yeah, I mean, that's, they're, they're definitely going to have to do that. Two safeties, three safeties, whatever it takes there to take away that the big play. Um, because again, the, you know, Gabriel Davis back to full health here for Buffalo as well is just another weapon for them. We saw Jake Kumaro step in and, and have some big plays there as well for Buffalo. Isaiah McKenzie, who had a rough start to the season in the slot, is starting to come on as well. I mean, that Buffalo offense, let's face it. I mean, other than the running game, uh, you know, they look pretty much unstoppable there in the in the passing game so you know take away those big plays try to force them into long drives um you know show them fronts dare them to run the football whatever it takes i think that's what baltimore's going to have to do this week and in terms of the buffalo defense they're going to need a monster game out of that defensive front in order to mask their uh depleted secondary and uh, it all starts with my man, Von Miller, and he has a pretty favorable matchup mm -hmm. against a rookie right tackle in Daniel Faalele in Baltimore. Uh, so uh, expect uh, a lot of help, uh, Daniel Faalele, from uh, uh, Nick Boyle or Patrick Ricard even on the edge to help you chip Von. But uh, you're going to have to do a lot of the dirty work yourself as well. Yeah. And, and like we said, you know, Von Miller has really opened up that Buffalo pass rush as well. The, the extra attention that he's um, forced teams to pay to him is just opening things up for, like I said, a boogie bash of Greg Rousseau, who's really come on here in his second season, uh, even getting, uh, you know, quality pass rush from AJ Espino looked like a, a bust the last two years for them. So, um, you know, even without Ed Oliver, this team is bringing the heat from that front four uh, in, for Buffalo. And that, and like we said, they, they've got a lot of heavy lifting to do because they're carrying this defense right now.
They sure do. And as we said, this game has track meet written all over it. Two of the best quarterbacks in this game right now in Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. It could very well depend on who has the ball last. Who do you think prevails Sunday afternoon in Charm City, the Bills or the Ravens? I'm going to take the Bills, and um, I'm going to have to save how this game ends up for my bold prediction because I have Buffalo winning in a wonderfully entertaining track meet, 56 to 52. What? Yeah, more to come on that one. Whoa, I like it. I like it a lot. This is like a flip of the coin for me, literally, because you got a depleted defense, a struggling young defense in a new system, and two elite offenses. Lamar Jackson, I think, is going to want to use this game to prove that he belongs in that elite quarterback tier to any other doubter that remains. Nobody doubts Josh Allen anymore, but some out there still doubt Lamar Jackson. I think he wants to shut him up once for all, and I think he does shut him up once and for all. I like the Ravens in this game, 41 to 38. And now let's pick the rest of these week four games. Starting tonight in Cincinnati, where the Bengals, who got off the schneid against the Jets last week, host the 3-0 Miami Dolphins. Uh, I am a big believer in the Miami Dolphins as well. Mike McDaniel, you are my early coach of the year favorite. You just have done a magnificent job in uh, building a system with, with the talent in it to make Tua Tungvaluwa look like the Tua Tungvaluwa we knew him to be at Alabama. And also that defense. Uh, the Jets defense isn't quite there yet, but the Dolphins defense is already there with the personnel and the experience to do the things that drive Joe Burrow crazy. They're going to stay in that two deep shell all game long, take away the explosive play. And uh, that defensive front is going to be a mismatch for that Bengals offensive line. Uh, this is going to be a relatively low scoring game, a defensive struggle. But at the end, I think the Dolphins defense carries the Dolphins to a four and record. Ooh, you know, you know, the Dolphins, they're going to blitz. They're going to send them after Joe Burrow. The Cincinnati offensive line is still not quite gelled yet. But you know what? Knock Joe Burrow down 15 times, sack him eight times. He doesn't care. He's getting back up. He's coming back. I've got Cincinnati taking it in a close one, 27-24. And early Sunday morning, uh, there's action across the pond for the first time this year as the Saints and Vikings meet in London with the Saints as the de facto home team. Oh, my God. Everybody hoping that Jameis Winston would finally have his breakout year. He's the same old Jameis, just making too many mistakes over and over and over and over again. Uh, I think the Saints uh, were due for regression this season, as you said uh, several months ago, Hal. And I think they continue that regression. I like the Vikings. Yeah, I like the Vikings too. Too much on offense. Jameis Winston, oh, four broken bones in your back. Shut it down. Rest <laughs> it up. Come on. Don't kill yourself out here, buddy. Come on. Easy win for Minnesota. I've got it 24 to 13 over the Saints. The Seattle Seahawks and Geno Smith, who is not a bad quarterback at all. He's been playing pretty well so far. They traveled to Detroit to take on the Lions coming off a heartbreaking loss in Minnesota last week. 
I think the Lions get back on track this week. They have the sexiest running game in the entire NFL, and they are going to just gash the Seattle Seahawks and their leaky defense. How bad will it be? Stay tuned for both predictions. I like the Lions in an easy win. Ooh, man. You know, I, I, you know, biting kneecaps and all that. Come on, man. Pete Carroll was doing that first out there. You know, (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's going to be an ugly one here. I think Seattle's going to go on. Seattle, they're used to going on the road. Uh, Ugly game. Somehow, I think despite that defense, they're going to pull it out against Detroit. Don't ask me how. Gut feeling. Seattle 16, Detroit 13. Oh, very interesting pick there. That would be winning in a very similar fashion as they did in week one at home against uh, Russell Wilson's Broncos. Uh, uh, the new look Seahawks uh, win ugly is their mantra, at least for this season. And uh, moving on to a matchup of two of the worst two and one teams we've seen in quite some time, the Bears traveling to the Meadowlands to take on the Giants. Uh, kind of like the Bills and Ravens, this was a coin flip for me, but uh, I wanted to pick my Bears until I saw this stat. The New York Giants blitz at an astonishing rate of 44.1% of snaps. And that's not surprising given the fact that Don Wheat Martindale is now coordinating that defense. And Justin Fields' numbers against the blitz prepare to puke. Passing rate of 28.2. 11.8% turnover-worthy plays. 40% pressure to sack rate. And a 37.8 pass rating. Oh, it's going to be ugly for the Bears all day. It's going to be a low-scoring game, but I think the Giants win pretty easily, let's say 16 to 6. Ooh. David, I can't see either one of these teams being three and one after four <laughs> weeks. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. You know what? We're due for another tie. Look, why <laughs> the heck not? These two teams. I could see them both turning the ball over multiple times in overtime. Yeah, I can see that easily. Daniel Jones, the mess that Chicago, let's call it 16-16 tie. Oh, predicting another tie. I love your outside-the-box thinking as always, Hal. And the Washington Commanders at your dunce of the week, Carson Wentz, traveling to Dallas to take on Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. Uh, Cooper Rush, uh, I don't think he's going to lose this week. He might lose uh, next week against the Rams if he has to play that game, but he's definitely not going to lose this week. Dak uh, still needs another week or two to get ready, but they should have no problem against the Commanders. Uh, they win pretty easily, let's say 23 to 10. Yeah, you know, I always expect something weird with Washington and Dallas, but yeah. Ugh, Wentz, I, I just don't see this as a bounce back game here uh, at all. And especially with Dallas, with that pass rush, uh, you know, Demarcus Lawrence going off like he did last week. And, uh, you know, um, Micah Parsons. You still got Micah Parsons there. So, <laughs> you know, uh, scary indeed. I think Dallas takes it easily 17 to nine. And the Cleveland Browns uh, going to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Jacoby Brissett is another name that we haven't talked about as much as we should. He's playing very good football yes. in lieu of uh, the other guy, is what we like to call him. <laughs> and, uh, but the Browns do not have Miles Garrett, and the Falcons have one of the more enjoyable offenses to watch in the NFL. If Miles Garrett does not play in this game, due to that uh, car accident he was in, and uh, hopefully he gets uh, better ASAP. 
I might change my pick to the Falcons, but I just like the Browns too much. And I think uh, uh, they're going to be uh, too much for those young Falcons to handle up front. I like the Browns. Yeah. I mean, did anyone think going into week four, uh, these are based on, you know, off a of point, two top 10 offenses with Mariota <laughs> quarterback <laughs> and Jacoby Brissett. Wow. Uh, Let's have a fun barn burner of a game, high scoring. I'm going to take Atlanta, uh, just guessing they have the ball last. Atlanta 34, Cleveland 33. The New York Jets traveling to Pittsburgh to take out the Steelers, who are not ready to uh, move on from Mitchell Trubisky to Kenny Pickett. And Zach Wilson returns to the field for the first time this season. But that said, I think Zach Wilson is going to be the worst quarterback on that field on uh, Sunday uh, afternoon in Pittsburgh. It's going to be a relatively ugly, low-scoring game. But the Steelers, with the additional days of preparation and Mike Tomlin being the coach that he is, I think they find a way to eke out an ugly, let's say, 17-9 to victory over the Jets. Yeah, I, I'm kind of seeing it the same way. Uh, Zach Wilson, especially missing all that practice time and preseason time, uh, a real downer for the Jets. And, you know, I don't think you're going to get any better quarterback play than you did from uh, Joe Flacco these first three games, and he wasn't very good. So uh, I've got Pittsburgh taking it 23 to 13 over the Jets. The Indianapolis Colts. I told you not to worry about them. Fresh off that upset win over the Chiefs, host the Titans in a divisional matchup. And I think the Colts uh, should have no problem winning this game. Uh, I think uh, they win, let's say, uh, 26 to 13, uh, because uh, as you and I said, we just uh, didn't believe in the Titans uh, from the get-go, and they barely survived against the Raiders last week, a game they arguably should have lost. And I think uh, they return more to their week two form this week against the Colts. I like the Colts. Yeah, I, you know, I, I might have written off the Colts a little early here. I'm not ashamed to say it here, but, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, going on the road for Tennessee, I just don't see it happen. You know, divisional game, if they were at home, I'd give them a, a fighter's chance of pulling something weird out of their pocket like they sometimes do and win ugly in Tennessee, but but not this week. I think I'm pretty close to your score. I've got it Indianapolis 24 and Tennessee 13. The Chargers lost in Houston last year and they traveled to Houston again. Do you think the Texans pull off another upset? Yes. Yes, I do. The Chargers, I told you, they have to prove to me that they're not <laughs> the same old Chargers, and they've done nothing this year but prove that they are the same old Chargers. Um, pulling defeat from the jaws of victory, why should it stop against an inferior opponent? The Chargers, you know, they love to play down to their opponents. Um, you know, they got smacked around last week. Uh, big loss on the offensive line, but Slater, Herbert with the ribs. I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster. I can see Houston getting up early and, uh, you know, this ending up a blowout as well, just like last week with Jacksonville. I would not be surprised in the least. I don't think it's going to be that bad, but I think Houston takes it 
24 to 13 over the Chargers. Justin Herbert might not have been 100% last week, but he was far more than 75%. He still made some of his trademark throws. And uh, they're going to get Keenan Allen and J.C. Jackson back this week. And I think those two guys will be enough to defeat a inferior opponent in the Texans. I am going with the Chargers by a score of 31 to 17. And to the afternoon games, like I said, why is this game in the afternoon as opposed to uh, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson? Uh, we got the uh, Cardinals traveling to Charlotte to take on the Panthers. I wanted to pick the Panthers initially, but uh, Christian McCaffrey did not practice today due to a thigh injury. And uh, without him, that offense just is not the same. Kyler Murray hasn't looked that good this year either. But uh, this game, I, I see ugly written all over it. It could come down to which quarterback, which former Oklahoma Sooner makes more of the big plays. And I still trust that Kyler Murray makes more of those big plays over Baker Mayfield. I like the Chargers in a close Ugly, low-scoring game. Let's say a game of field goals, twelve to nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I ugly is definitely the way I see this game. I mean, I don't have any handle on either one of these two teams right now. I have no idea which Cardinals team is going to show up, um, how they're going to perform, and the same with Carolina as well. Uh, this is a coin flip. And when I flip the coin, uh, you know, I always give the edge to the home team. So for no other reason than that, I've got Carolina taking it 23 to 20 over the Cardinals. Yeah. Another flip of the coin type of game to pick and uh, going on to your Patriots who travel to green Bay to play the Packers. And as we alluded to earlier, we don't buy a bill Belichick's, uh, uh, performance at the mic this morning say that Mac Jones could play. Uh, no way Mac Jones plays in this game. Uh, the Patriots are going to keep it close, I think, for actually about three quarters. But I think the Packers at that uh, ground game pull away in the end. Packers 27, Patriots 16. Yeah, I mean, I, I trust the New England defense to put up a strong performance on the road. I certainly don't trust Brian Hoyer uh, leading the offense. I've got it Green Bay. 16, New England, six. And an AFC West matchup in Vegas as the Broncos at two and one take on the Raiders at 0-3. Maybe it is the cynical SOB Broncos fan in me, but last year, the Broncos played the Raiders in Denver in week six, days after John Gruden got fired. And what did Derek Carr and company do? They just kicked the Broncos, but now they're even more cornered. And I think the Raiders are just going to run all over the Broncos, 27 to 10 Raiders. Yeah, I, I'm picking the Raiders as well. They're not as bad as their record looks. They're playing at home this week. The though Raiders Broncos, there's a little extra energy in that game. Every time they play, um, you know, like I said, Denver, their improvement's going to start eventually with Russell Wilson. Um, you might see a little bit better play this week, but I think uh, Vegas just has a little too much for them this week. I've got the Raiders winning 27 to 24 over the Broncos. Ooh, you're giving the Broncos a better chance than I gave them again. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cynical SOB. That's all there is to it. <laughs> 
And the Sunday night game. And by the way, all our thoughts and prayers are with everybody in the state of yes. Florida right now as you brace for a Category 5 hurricane, Hurricane Ian. And that could very well force this game to be played at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Uh, at uh, Patrick Mahomes against Tom Brady. And both of these offenses have been struggling as of late. Yet the Bucs might get uh, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin back this week, but I'm not quite sure about that. But nonetheless, your guys up front make a big difference. And unlike uh, Super Bowl 55, the Chiefs have the better offensive line in this game. I am going to go with the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, um, let's put an over-under on tablets that get smashed by Tom Brady. I'm going to say one and a half. I don't think it's going to get much easier for that offense this week. They have looked out of sync. And if your offense isn't clicking, the last thing you want to see on the other side is Patrick Mahomes there. Um, So I think it'll be a little, uh, another lower scoring game. Um, not maybe as low scoring as the Green Bay Tampa game last week, which we both saw as lower scoring than the pundits uh, thought it would be. But I've got Kansas City taking it 20 to 17 over the box. And on Monday night in Santa Clara at Levi Stadium, the 49ers looking to get back on track against the Rams, who are two and one, but uh, still have some kinks to work out. Uh, they didn't play as well as I thought they would against a uh, below average Cardinals team there, I say, last week. And the 49ers, they may not have Trent Williams in this game, but I think this is the game where they get that ground game back up and going. And Kyle Shanahan just owns Sean McVay each time they meet in the regular season. I think the 49ers find a way to do it again. Uh, the 49ers, 20, Rams, 17. Yeah, I I mean, you've mentioned the Rams have been playing down to their last two opponents. They got blown out of the water in week one against Buffalo. I think, though, you know, if there's a game for them to get back on track, uh, you know, going on the road to San Francisco Monday night, why not this week? I'm going to take the Rams, make it a close game, uh, but I'll say Rams 27 49ers 25. And now on to our bold predictions for week four. I will go first. The Detroit Lions and that amazing running game totals 300 plus yards on the ground and 200 of those yards come from hard knock star Jamal Williams. That is my bold prediction. Uh. What about yours, Sal? So my bold prediction, I queued it up with Buffalo and Baltimore here. Josh Allen, seven passing touchdowns. Lamar Jackson, seven total touchdowns, four passing, three rushing. Uh, Buffalo gets the ball back, less than a minute to play, trailing 52 to 49. Did they go for the field goal to tie? Heck no. I'm going to say Allen to Diggs, clock running under 10 seconds. Bills win it. 56 52 Josh Allen tops 500 yards passing to go along with those seven passing touchdowns. And last but not least, as we always do, we conclude our weekly episodes during the NFL season with our challenge flags. You go first here. Uh, mine's very easy. Lovey Smith, Josh McDaniels, 
you're the last two coaches without a W here this season. Um, I picked you both to win. I've got faith in you. That's my challenge flag to both of you. Let's get Oprah Winfrey out here. You get a W. You get a W. All the un all the teams with no wins gets a W this week. McDaniels, Smith, get that W. Good challenge, Hal. And for my challenge flag this week, I once again challenge the NFL officials. NFL officials, for God's sake, learn what pass interference is. There was a blatant defensive pass interference against the Giants that was not called on Monday night. There was an offensive pass interference called against Sterling Shepard that clearly was not offensive pass interference. And there was an offensive pass interference that should have wiped out the 49ers lone touchdown on Sunday night. NFL officials, my challenge is simple. Learn what pass interference is or get another job. It's as simple as that. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, a full press coverage. Follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap week four, preview week five, and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with Decrom. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. Also, I want to congratulate my good friend, 2022 Denver Broncos Pro Bowl cheerleader and honorary voice of the pod, Catherine, and her wonderful husband, Gian, on the exciting news that they're expecting a baby this coming March. Congratulations, Catherine and Gian. God bless you and all the best wishes. For Hal Beck, this is David Cromlow. And as always, please choose love. Please choose kindness. Please choose compassion. Please choose selflessness. Please choose empathy. And whatever your opinion on the state of our country is, Please, and I mean please, I beg you, do not forget to vote by November 8th. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.